If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Part of our Words in Red continued series, I just feel the Lord has led me to stay in the Words in Red for a good while, to build this foundation of the gospel so very needed in our country today. And... These last four weeks, including today, we've called these the Prepper Parables. Uh, What does it mean to be prepared for the end? And will you make heaven? And are you ready? And what are the things that sometimes we have trouble with? And we're going to talk today. The title of this message is The Skinny on Getting to Heaven. The Truth About Getting to Heaven. So let's pray this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father God, we love you so very much. We love your word. We treasure it, God. And I pray over the next few moments, God, that you would open our ears to hear our hearts, Lord, to hear, God, what your word says. Lord, anoint me, anoint me to speak whatever you have for me to speak, God. And uh, Father, I pray that we would take your word to heart and let it change our life. Let it would stir us, God. And Lord, even if it doesn't always feel good or sound good, God, that it would actually come into our hearts, change us from the inside out, and move us and motivate us, God, to go out into this world, Lord, and to be radically different and on fire for you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Have you ever met somebody who likes to do things the hard way? Nobody look at your spouse. Uh, Somebody that likes to do things the difficult way, the hard way. Uh, have you ever had that conversation with someone where they showed you something to do, uh, and uh, maybe it was easier, but you liked your way better? Ever, come on now, be honest, right? You, you, you might have liked, you, even if your way was harder, you, you might have liked your way better. Uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, sometimes it can be discouraging to see people continue to choose their own way, and their own path for their life, even though God has made different preparations, different paths uh, that would be so much better. Uh, you know, I've learned in my short years of pastoring, my many years of church going, that, uh, you know, we all have an opinion about life and faith and family. You go to different parts of the country. I'm now living in different parts of the country. People think different and act different and believe different a little bit. Um, but we always think we're right. Everywhere you go, everybody, all, people, it's something about us. We always think that we're right. And we all have our opinions. Uh, And I've realized that in all my efforts, in all the love that I could ever have given or hold for people, or all the prayers that I could ever pray, that I, Heath Harris, cannot change someone's heart. I cannot change a person's heart to follow after God. And I've gotten me thinking this week that how does God feel? Because I'm I'm stubborn sometimes. Uh, My wife doesn't have to say anything. But I'm, I'm stubborn sometimes. And how does God feel? When we choose our own way over His. You think about a parent that says, this is the way I want you to go. This is the way I want you to live. This is the way I want you to do. And those of you who have kids that have gone through that rebellious stage, you know how God might feel when His children, He says, this is the way I want you to go, but yet we still choose our own way. We're going to talk this morning, tonight, and continue about what our theme is this last few weeks. But that we each, every single person in this world, holds the responsibility to make sure heaven is their home. Every single person has the responsibility to allow Jesus to change their heart. 
It won't be the pastor. It won't be the church. It won't be your mom or your dad or your friends or your family. It will be your responsibility, and it is your responsibility to see and to know that Jesus is at the center of your life and at your heart. And it doesn't come through a simple wish or a desire, but a changed life. A truly changed life comes through fully surrendering our hearts to Jesus Christ in daily striving. Everybody say striving. We're going to talk about striving today. Daily striving to follow God's Spirit, and then we'll make heaven our home. So it's not some simple desire, some simple wish, it's, but it's my responsibility to strive for heaven. Amen? Let's look at this, what Jesus says. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Okay, so we find Jesus, and he says, And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Doesn't it feel like that today, that question? Man, Lord, how many people are really saved in this country? Are there anybody? How many people are saved? And that's the question they're asking him. And he says, and he says to them, Strive, there's that word again, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And you'll begin to say, but we ate and we drank in your presence and and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And in that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Mm. That's a wake up. The background to this is that the scribes often were debating. The church at that time, that what we call the religious, were always debate, or often rebating, debating who would make it to heaven. That's kind of a good question you think today. Who's going to make it to heaven? That's what we're doing this prepper parables on. This is a fitting way to end our series today. Because we're asking, who's going to make it to heaven? But Jesus turns it around on us for a moment. And instead of asking and, and asking the question, Who is going to make it to heaven? He sums it up and flips it around and basically saying that the question is not how many or who will be saved, but will you be saved? Not about all of them, not about all of them, but about you. See, we often can get into these doctrinal arguments and these theological questions. We can be, debate all the ways to do church and how to have church and who, what kind of preaching do you like. Do you like exegetical? Do you like storytelling? Do you like shouting? Do you like quiet? All these different things we can argue about how to do church and who's going to make it to heaven and how do you like to be a Christian and what is a good Christian and how much do you have to go to church and all that. He sums it all down and says, let's forget all of it. Blah, blah, blah. Will you make heaven? Not will she make heaven, not will he make heaven, but will you make heaven? He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, a parallel passage. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who will find it. You know, I was raised in church my whole life, my my 
my grandparents uh, immigrated over here. My grandmother immigrated over here from Germany right after the World War II, and they were Catholic. They converted immediately to uh, Assemblies of God. And my whole life, my parents, my grandmother prayed over me. Uh, I mean, I remember her rocking me and, and singing and speaking in tongues. I remember all those things. I remember uh, uh, laying on the pew and coloring and crayoning. You know, I remember people weeping in the altars. I remember people running around the church. I remember all these things from when I was little. And Christianity is something that was many times assumed in my life. I just, this is the way we are. This is what we do. Yes, there's a God, of course. The Bible is true. And all these different things. And even as I got older, Christianity is just the way that it was. This is who I am. This is what I do. It's the American thing. It's conservative. Even if it was, I remember uh, uh, hearing one time that even if it was wrong, it's really the best way to live. Even if it wasn't true, it was the best way. And those are the kind of things that filled my mind. And I want us to consider today for a moment that many of us here believe we're going to heaven. I believe I'm going to heaven. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm not here to cause doubt or question us today of your faith or where you think you're going to spend eternity. But many people, Jesus is saying, many people will assume they're going to heaven, but they won't make it. And let's assume just for a moment and not just put it off about, oh, well, that's he's talking about them or he's talking about them. But let's just all of us, even myself included, those who we know we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. He says, What about you? You assume for a moment that you're going to heaven, but when you get there, Jesus shut the door in your face. What a fearful, sad, awful day. That if you thought, can you imagine, just picture in your mind what Jesus is really saying because He's foreseen this day. He knows what it's going to be like. He's been there. And he knows who's right with him and who's not. And he is saying, I mean, I can sense it with the the love and the fear for these people. He's fearing for them. And he's saying, just wait a minute. There'll come a day where so many people will be utterly surprised because they assume they're going to make it on time, but I'm going to have to shut the door. Man. There'll be two types, there are two things that we're talking about today, that there are two ways today. There are two groups of people traveling two ways who are going to end in two very different situations, two very different destinations, two people traveling two ways in two different destinations. We're going to break this out today, talk about the wide door and the wide way. Thinking about this way, so many things you could say today and look at our country, and I'm not even speaking on the specifics of what happened tragically this week in our country. This message was written even before the Supreme Court's decision this week. But there's a wide door and a wide way, and those traveling on this road, they'll not be persecuted for their holiness. They'll not be mistreated for their faith. They'll not be looked at peculiarly. People on the wide door and the wide way, they don't make waves. They follow the majority. They're interested in building the good life of ease and acquiring more and accomplishing more and getting the accolades of so many people. Their self-effort leads them to build their life upon the man-made rules of this world. Their ideologies of man, religions of man. They seek maximum fulfillment for their desires, their needs, their wants. That's what life is all about. Me, me, me. They want to be healthy. They want to be happy. 
They want to be comfortable. And on this road, there's room for so many. There's room enough for everyone, in fact. And they say this. They say, be who you want to be. Do what you want to do. They say, entertain me, but don't correct me. There's freedom and independence on this road. And you can drive any way you want. You can even drive your own way. You want to go off-roading? Go off-roading. I fear today so many people, even Christians that claim Christ and come to church even faithfully, are driving with cruise control on this road. Indifferent. Or maybe unaware that Jesus is saying... Wake up, because why? In fact, this is called the highway to hell. It's a four-lane interstate, and there's no speed limit. And that's the picture Jesus is painting for us today. That's how wide it is. And so he says this, and he's saying this is what he's picturing. Just think about the God of the universe coming in the flesh to tell people, wake up, just like that child. I mean, if you've had a rebellious child or you've had a rebellious friend or, or relative, you know, you're like, I'm just trying to tell you if you would do this, your life would be better. If you would just stop and look and listen, pay attention. You remember when you're driving? That's the first thing they say. You go to the stop sign, you look to the left, you look to the right, and then what do you do? You look back again, right? Look around. Where are you going? Where are you headed? What is this going to take you to? You ever been on the, the road and you leave work, and all of a sudden you're home. You ever done that before? You're like, how in the, how did I get here? Where, I don't remember. And you kind of think back. You're like, wow, that's dangerous, you know. And I, sometimes that's life. You get through. You're just going. You're just going through the motions. And we all do it. We all have cruise control. But be careful what road you're driving on. How easy is your life? And, and everyone's going to say, well, my life isn't easy. But if it's not struggling in the Spirit, if it's not struggling against your own natural desires, if you're not crucifying the flesh daily, you might be on the wrong road. If it's not hurting you to not do what you want to do, if you're not giving up your wants, your desires, your ambitions, you might be on the wrong road. And so he contrasts it with the next, the narrow door in a narrow way, because there's another way. There's another way. That's what this world doesn't understand. There's another way to peace. There's another way to love. There's another way to having a true identity. There's another way. And Jesus is saying it's a narrow way and a narrow door, and it's called the road to righteousness. I think about it as one of these old country bumpy roads. It may not be as pretty as all the other ones. Right there, right, Brother Ron? We know what that's like to live out there. It, it may not be like the, all the other ones. It may not have all the same things that everything else does. It may not have the pretty sidewalks, but it's the road to righteousness and few travel. It's, it involves a high cost of sacrifice. It involves denial of myself. It involves forsaking all others, even my family, if it comes to it. It involves all interests being forsaken for the glory of God. Not my glory, but His glory. calls for the knowledge of truth. Repentance, submission, and a willingness to obey God. It says, God's my source. He's all that I need. 
It says that God is my authority. He sets the order of my life. And it says that God is at the center of all of my relationships. And that's the way my life is made. God is my source. God is my authority. And God is the center of my relationships. That's the road to righteousness. And it says that He makes the rules. He tells me what true love is, what true intimacy is. And it finally, it seeks to build God's kingdom first. Trusts in God for His soul provision. This is the Word of God. This is what it is. This is what this Bible says. This is the only path to salvation. This is the only path to salvation. And it's the way to the cross for every single one of us. It's the way to the cross. It's following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to salvation. And even though we know that and we hear that, And I've heard that all my life. And I tell you, it's so easy to go to church and to hear it all and to come to church and to be here and to do it all and still not really have it in here. I've been there. I've done it. For years I did it. But Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but through me that Jesus is the door, Jesus is the narrow way. And we know this, John 14, 6. But I want to focus on this word, strive. Because that's how he starts off, strive. Everybody say strive. Get in our heads. Strive. He says, many will seek later, but it will be too late, and they'll try to enter through their own strength, their own willpower, their own self, but it will be too late. And he says, strive. What does this word strive mean? It actually means agonize. The Greek of it means agonize. It means to contend to battle, to struggle. And he says to strive, work very hard, to exert. Paul talks about it this way in an athletic contest in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, don't you know that all who run in a race, all run. Imagine that. But only one receives the prize. He says, run in such a way that you may win. That's what Jesus is talking about here today. You and I are in a struggle, a contest, a competition, a battle to make heaven our home. You're battling against yourself. You're battling against this world. You're battling against the devil and all of his legions that want to lead us into temptation. And he says, strive, strive to enter into the narrow way. Go through the narrow door, but it's going to take some agony a little bit. It's going to take some struggling a little bit. But then he says, but you're not going to be able to make it on your own. Now, I got to thinking about this. Well, what does he mean by strive then? Because when I think strive, I mean, I need to put some more effort into this church thing. I need to pay my tithes more. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to get into this thing. I need to serve in ministry more. But he says, no, 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 no. Those are the type of people who are trying to do it on their own. That's the own effort. That's your own striving. But what is he saying then? about striving because you don't just get into heaven by wishing for it, okay? And then you don't just get into heaven by trying harder, okay? So he says, there's going to become people who try to come on their own strength. They're going to try to come on their own knowledge. They're going to try to come on their own goodness, but it's not going to work. They're not strong enough. They they, maybe they have the incorrect beliefs about what church or Jesus really is or all about. And maybe, and he says, they're going to have the same hearts as the world. Their hearts will be just as evil despite all of their good works, despite all of their good religion. Their striving, their trying won't be good enough. Because he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that if anyone wishes to come after me, 
He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, Jesus had to strive to go to the cross. The Bible says that when he went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and that was a struggling moment. It wasn't anything physical that we, you know, he wasn't pumping iron, he wasn't, you know, filling up with morphine, so it wasn't things that he was physically doing, but it was a spiritual struggle, so much spiritually that he actually sweat drops of blood. There was an agony, there was a striving and a struggling, battling for the will of God to be done in his physical body. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have to strive to follow me to the cross. And it won't be something you can do on your own. It won't be something you can do with your own knowledge, your own strength, your own willpower. But it simply comes through a repentance of the flesh. To strive is to follow Him on the cross that goes to the agony of the cross. That means we resist temptation, we flee from evil, we kill our prideful will. And I don't care how you were born. We're all born wrong. Amen? No matter what you are born to be or what you're born and your natural inhibitions are, it's that we all are here today to say the only way to salvation is to kill ourselves by following Jesus to the cross. It's, it's a sacrifice of ourself for the will of God. And I'm going to say this, that salvation is a free gift, but it's not an easy gift. It's a free gift, but it's not an easy gift. It comes through brokenness. It comes through agony. It comes through anguish. That's repentance. It comes through that sort of striving. And that's what he's talking about here. And he says that he's going to shut the door. How many people have ever told their kids, shut the front door, right? Shut the door, right? You know, most of the time, it's rude to shut the door in someone's face, right? Just make sure we get that one covered. That's the first lesson for today. It's rude to shut the door in someone's face. I was thinking about that, but God's going to have to do it. But He's a nice God. Thinking about it this way, you and I will shut the door to our homes to protect evil people from entering to it, right? You know evil's coming into your house, you will shut that door, you will lock it. Some of you will have a gun ready, you know. You'll, that's right, amen, Louisiana, here we go. They might not even get to the front door, you know. <clears throat> But you'll shut that door to keep evil out of your house. For those of you who are not so violent, we shut the door to keep mosquitoes out of our house, right? Bad things, right? Some of us, we have to run faster than others, depending on what pond you live next to. But you think about God will shut the door to keep evil, to keep sin out of His heavenly creation. He is not going to allow one man to bring evil, to bring sin into his new creation. We ruin the old one. He's not going to have it again. And so he is going to shut, the, as much as he loves you, as much as he wants you to be with him, if there is evil in our heart, if we're not covered by the blood of Jesus, if we haven't turned from our own ways, confessed our sins, believed and begin to obey the word of God, he will have to, for the sake of his new creation, For the sake of all of you who'll be into heaven, not allow one sin in. He will shut the door on evil because he loves us very so. He has a plan and it is a good plan. And he is willing to do whatever he has to do to protect it. I think about uh, recently we've had this Ebola scare in the United States. What do we do? Well, 
We should have done, but we did. What did we some sort of do is that there is a process so that you can't just come over here if you have that stuff in you. There is a process of decontamination, of, of going to an isolation unit and getting cleansed, getting the vaccine and seeing how it comes out. We see the results of it. And then if you're free, then come on in. Right? It's the same thing. God is in his he is so patient. He is so patient. But there is a time when even he will have to shut the door. The final test will not be what I think, what we think of ourselves, but what will God say to you on that day? What will God say to you on that day? I'm going to say this. This has stuck with me all week long. But it's that just because you know Jesus doesn't mean he knows you. If there's anything I can get out of this passage, it's that just because you know Jesus doesn't mean he knows you. Because he says they called him Lord. Lord, I know who you are. I know you're the Messiah. Mm. I, I heard you preach, Jesus. I ate supper with you, Jesus. And he says, I don't know you. You know me, but I don't know you. Matthew 7, 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who, what, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sometimes, uh, it's been interesting, you know, when you move to a new place, you know, we've been here about a year and a half now, and I'm still getting to know, we, I know everybody in our church, I'm still getting to know a lot of people in the community and people that I see, and, and you can't go anywhere in Gina without seeing somebody you know, right? And... Uh, you know, sometimes people will know me because of my, my job, my position as pastor here, but I won't know them. And I've found some people who even call our church home know me, but I don't know them. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, hi, how are you? And you can see you go to Walmart and they give you that look like you're supposed to know me. And I just assume, it's, oh, yeah, how are you? You know, I just act like you know who they are, but I don't know them. Why? Because they've never been here before since I've been here, right? Like, oh, yeah, Sanctuary's my home church. Is it now? You know, I'm glad to meet you. I'm the new pastor, you know. Uh, and, and so I, it's the same way. He's saying they might know me, but unless they have a relationship with me that goes beyond the Sunday morning attendance roster, I don't know them. I don't know them. We don't have a relationship. You know, there's going to be in this day, there's going to be no pedigree worthy enough. No reputation worthy enough. He's, they say, you taught in our streets. You know what that means? I heard the word of God preached. I heard the pastor preach it. For years, I heard the pastor preach it. But he's saying, I don't know who you are. I don't care how many sermons you've heard. I don't care how well you know the word of God. You say, someone will get to there on that day. On that day, someone will say this. They'll say, I thought Jesus wanted me to pay my tithes. But I go to church. I thought he wanted me to be a good person. But he'll say, yes, but your heart wasn't changed. On that day, there'll be no grace left. There'll be a day when grace ends for the people on this earth. We'll live in grace for eternity. But on that day, grace's door to this earth will be shut. Because they say, we ate and we drank in your presence. And someone on that day will say this. They say, well, I thought I was forgiven. I thought that He accepted me as I am, and I thought that Jesus was a friend of sinners and gave people second and third chances. But He'll say, yes, but your heart wasn't changed. 
They became hearers but not doers of the word. James chapter 1 verse 22, he says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not just merely hearers who deceive themselves. It will be a fearful, fearful day. A sad day for so many. And Jesus says that they'll watch their loved ones, they'll watch their family enter in, but the door will be surprisingly shut to them. It will be the worst surprise ever. And I can't even imagine God knowing, sending His Son, and why Jesus in His Word, the more I have read and studied these words and read, it is not just, oh yes, I love you, I'll give you all the time that you need. It's not just, yes, I will forgive you, and, I'll, and all that is true. But there will come a day when that period will be over. There will come a day when it, there will be a shutting of the door of heaven, and no more will enter in. And it's a sad day. And I can't even imagine the screams of someone, and when he says, in that place, there will be weeping and grinding, or gnashing of teeth. You know what that means? It means that moment where you hit your hand on the hammer, or your ha- hammer and the hand, right? And then you just grit your teeth, and you're, ah! It'll be a squinching of that mind and the eyes. It'll be an anguish of the soul to say, no, I can't believe it. It can't be true. Please, please, please. No, no, no. That's what he's depicting here. It's serious, church. This world doesn't realize what they are doing. That's why Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's what he said on the cross. I look at the world and all the decisions that they're making, all the things that they're doing, there is only one way to heaven. You can know His name without having a trusting and fruitful faith in His Word. And the only way to heaven is to obey Him. The only way to heaven is to humbly repent and faithfully trust Him. Think about Judas. He had a relationship with Jesus. He was identified as a disciple, but he wasn't a true believer. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we want fellowship with God today, church, we've got to become a slave to righteousness. It's not just the profession. It's the obedience too. And yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to falter. Yes, it's not, you're not having to be perfect. It's not about you know, cutting everything out of our lives and just being a monk in the desert. That's not what we're talking about here today. It is something about having my heart right with God, being in right relationship with Him and having communion with Him and saying, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I falter, but I want to be. God, I want to be. Help me. I want to be a slave to you. And maybe I'm not the perfect slave, but God, I'm going to be a slave. I'm determining. I'm striving. He says, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? Because if you want fellowship with Jesus, you've got to come into a covenantal relationship with Him. He says, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those type of people will make it in. Those are the type of men and women who've trusted God's Word without wavering. They say, this is all I need in this life. This is all I need to get through. I don't care what the world says, what the world does. This is the only way. This is it, church. This is the only way. And I'm going to strive to live it out. I may fail. I may falter. But with God's help, I'm striving. With God's help, I'm moving forward. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning to the right or to the left. And I may go against the grain of every single person around me. But in the love and the spirit and the power of God, I'm striving to make heaven my home. 
I trust in God and His Word. And in those type of people, there is a heavenly hope. Mm. A heavenly hope. And somebody might say today, well, whew, this is tough this morning. Cricket, cricket, you know. Is there hope? Man, I want to obey, but I just can't seem to. I've been there. I'm there almost every day. Repent and receive the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. I love what Romans 8, 13 through 14 says. He says, and spiritually striving is what he's talking about. He says, if you are living according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, everybody say, by the Spirit. Get that in your head. By the Spirit, not on your own self, not by your own willpower, not by your own knowledge, but not by, by, by your own effort. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's all about the Spirit. You might desire to change your nature from the inside out. It's not going to be easy. You have to strive by the Holy Spirit. I think about this today and, and, uh, or this week. You know what it's really kind of like? It's kind of like getting skinny, right? Hang on with me here for a moment. He says, the way is narrow. You ever been in those? We have a, our fellowship hall. Sometimes when we have fellowship dinners, I'm like, man, we should have less food because the fitness place, we all got to get a little more skinny to fit down these aisles. You got to go between those seats and you got to get in there. He says, the way is narrow. It's not very easy to stay skinny. I've perfected it, not really. For some of us, it's easier than others, and it's not even about the weight loss. It's, it's about what he's saying here. No one stays healthy by accident. You know that? Even Louisiana, right? Our fried food. You don't stay healthy by accident. It takes striving to be healthy. I don't care how skinny you are. It takes striving, it takes battling of the mind. It may even be agonizing to put that ice cream bar down, you know? You can't reach heaven, though, on your own strength, on your own willpower. You have to repent of your sin, you have to admit your weakness, and then he says, He will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we talked about and sang about this morning. We are missing out in America on the power of of the Holy Spirit to do it in and through us. It has become more about the knowledge of the Bible. It has become more about the understanding of practicality. It has become more about my own will, my own strength to do good, to be good, to act good, to look good, to attend well. But it's got to be a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to take us to be last in line to get to that place just like getting skinny, maybe we need to get last in line. You know, you go to a buffet, not Golden Corral because it's always full, right? The, the buffet is always full. But on a normal buffet, the person last in line, what do you get? You get the scraps, right? You get the leftovers, and they get, you know, they're going to go through all the brisket first, and you get the veggies at the end, right? That's how it's going to be. And Jesus is saying those that are first will be last, and those that are last will be first. For us as the church, if we want to... Uh, pursue the depth of the Holy Spirit and say, God, do you know me? I want to know you. It's saying, get last in line. This world is a buffet of pleasure. This world is a buffet of selfishness, of all the things that can fill you up, but be last in line. Be last in line to the buffet of this world. Get skinny on the things of this world. 
And what does that mean? You think about the jobs that nobody wants to do, the things that glorify God and build up His kingdom, about picking, maybe it's picking somebody up for church when nobody else wants to. Maybe it's staying late to clean up. Maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's helping somebody move or, or giving up a Saturday to do ministry. But being last in line means what? When you've got to let other people go in front of you, it means being patient. It means having self-control. It means being humble. And it also means eating less. Jesus is saying, be last, church. In this world, people are pushing ahead for rights, for independence, for equality. They're pushing ahead for name recognition, for power. Be last. Be last. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and you will be lifted up. Everyone who humbles himself will be, exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And while the world can be out there parting in the streets for all their liberties of hell, we, the church, should be caring for the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, because Jesus says, by doing so, that will be great, your reward in heaven. Two ways. Two people. Two destinations. But here's our great hope. There will be an all-you-can-eat buffet in heaven. Amen. Marriage supper of the Lamb. There is hope. Two ways, two people, two destinations. Worship team, would you come back?